You are now listening to No Chats, where we discuss all things relating to current cybersecurity trends and delve into how technology innovation is reshaping the world we live in. And now, your host, Neil Gernhill. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of No Chats. On this episode, we're revisiting ransomware, where it is currently, uh, what we've seen over the last few months, what the legal position is. And I'm delighted to have Jim and Dominic from uh, McDonald and Hopkins lawyers who are going to speak to us about it, give us a full insight, see what they're seeing. And I'm really looking forward to doing a bit of a deep dive. And with that, Jim, Dominic, please introduce yourselves. Great, Neil. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Good morning, everyone. It's Jim Gischeck. I co-chair the data privacy and cybersecurity practice at McDonald Hopkins. And I'm Dominic Paluzzi, and I'm the other co-chair of uh, the National Data Privacy and Cyber Practice at McDonald Hopkins. Thanks for having us. No, absolutely awesome to have you on. So I want to start. What One thing that I always have been looking back at, where ransomware came from, particularly looking at the the history. So it really started out kind of late 2000s, but maybe even late 90s, very personal, very low frequency, didn't probably make your radars at all. But I'm really interested that when did you start to see it coming into your radar? When did it start going from personal to corporate to businesses and then showing up in your kind of probably started out once a quarter, once a month. Now it's every day, I would imagine. But just give us a bit of background on on the history to it coming onto your desks. Yeah, I think as we reflect and look back, if thinking through kind of the rise in insurance coverage and organizations purchasing insurance, then I think that some of the criminal groups that have been heavily involved in, in ransomware I think started to see some traction and the ability that, to, to collect on these types of activities. Clearly, if they were just stealing data and trying to sell it, there's a lot of work that goes into that for them versus locking up a system or a company and getting paid to just simply provide a decryption key. And that really, from our perspective, probably you know, 10, 12 years ago, we started to see it creep into corporate America very slowly. It's only been in the last probably, you know, five years where we've really started to see things ramp up. And obviously in the last couple of years, to your point, it's it's literally been a, a couple of times a day we're getting phone calls with organizations that have been hit with ransomware. And as as you know, that method of attack has continued to evolve over the last year and a half or two years as well, which has made things even more complicated. Yeah. The, you know, the other the other interesting thing is just the the involvement of the industry impact, right? For so many years, a decade ago, we would talk to manufacturers, right, about the cyber risks, and we would get the response of, "We don't collect credit cards. We don't have. We're not an in, you know PII intensive environment entity, and uh, we're we're not as concerned, right?" And so the threat actors have shifted from data right? And personal information to now just bringing down an organization, right? So all of a sudden we have industries like manufacturing and a whole host of others that are impacted now by, by ransomware events, by, you know, lines being shut down and every minute is, you know, could be millions of dollars. Yeah, certainly for that, that industry. And you're right that we, when we were selling cyber in the early days, it was all privacy. Anyone do you collect information? The more you hold, the more it's going to cost you the more expensive it's going to be. And, in, and insureds were starting to learn about regulatory 
implications and the fact that you have to notify over the last 10, we've seen loads of sort of 10 years, we've seen lots of regulatory enhancement change, especially in the US, different states taking harder stances. Bread and butter is super obvious, but you're right. The, the, the biggest shift, and it is that the, the people that didn't think they were necessarily having a, a large exposure to this type of cyber risk or need to buy some type of mitigating insurance has shifted massively into connected world, into connected manufacturing processes, has brought about huge opportunities. But you're right, that once nearly non-exposed entity, we, we used to have a really low rating actually for manufacturing risk, but the, now that, that business interruption element to it, that element of the, the frequency that we see ransomware and the impact it has on those type of businesses, I mean, it really is just pulling that plug. I mean, it's like the office burned down tomorrow and it's like the office is on fire. You can't use it and you can't put it out. And the longer you leave it, the more it's going to cost you. Yeah. I mean, it's quite staggering. I was looking at some statistics of frequency of this type of event. So it used to be that that in around 2015, there was approximately a thousand attacks a day. Now they would be completely automated, very spammy. Bring that forward. And in the current climate, it's reported that there's around an attack every 11 seconds, and that's going to ramp up throughout 2021. And that increase in time is around a 300% increase in frequency over the last sort of four years. So criminals are really dialed into this as a very successful way of trying to achieve what they want to achieve. And businesses are, as you say, are very, very exposed because it's so hard. It's so effective. So it's so crude, isn't it? It's such a crude thing to do, but it makes it is. It is. And, you know, that in combination, you know, we talk about manufacturing as the manufacturing process has evolved. And, you know, we speak to it simply because it it, it near and dear to our heart, because Dom and I grew up and and live just outside of Detroit. So when it comes to manufacturing, it's something we know well. And, you know, we've got just in time, manufacturing. So the big three and all the autos only have so many parts to be used on their line. So they have a very limited supply. So if you happen to shut down a small facility that makes a very small part that those auto manufacturers only have three days worth of, you're now shutting down lines where you're not manufacturing vehicles. And when you talk about the the penalties associated with that and the business interruption, it's it's staggering. So as, as those you know, industries have in their minds become much more efficient. I think it's created even more opportunity and created more of a threat to them as a result of, of these types of events. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, um, one thing that I'm, I wanted you guys to do a bit of a deep dive in, if you wouldn't mind, is that we see a lot of chat around the legal position. Uh, and we know with privacy law, it, it's always felt like privacy law pretty much across most countries is always like a few years behind it's always in the catch-up phase. And I wondered with ransomware and the, the the position on federal offense and that kind of movement, is the, is it, first of all, can it be eradicated by law, by passing more law, as in the fines would naturally come down because it's out and out illegal? And secondly, has there been any change in the current legal landscape over the last five years since we've seen the onslaught of or the frequency go through the roof like we have? Historically, everybody's always said they they don't want to pay criminals, obviously. They don't want to fund these operations and help them grow. The reality is if a business is shut down 
and they have a choice between paying X dollars or having to be shut down for an extended period of time and rebuild everything. And oftentimes much of their data is not recreatable. As a result, you know, they do that cost benefit analysis. There could be a few extra zeros on the side of rebuilding and it may not be tenable. I mean, we've seen companies go bankrupt because they just can't get up and up and running fast enough, you know, in order to avoid those penalties. And so, you know, historically, of course, nobody wants to pay the criminals. The reality is many times there's no choice but to pay to get decryption keys. Um, Where we've seen the evolution is, you know, the government, especially over the last few years with this dramatic spike in ransomware events, taking a much harder look at it. And I, I think there's a number of reasons for it. I mean, obviously, it's very heavily funding criminal enterprises, you know, or potential state-sponsored action. And the dollars have just gotten beyond what anyone I think could have ever imagined. And as a result, you know, you do see, you know, there's always been the reality of, you know, we, you can't make a payment to someone on the OFAC list, right? You, you can't, they're off limits for a reason. So you can't do business with them. You can't make a payment. But, you know, over the last, in particular, the last several months, the government's taken a much harder look at that and tried to provide guidance to folks as they've been put in these difficult situations of having to decide whether or not to make a payment. And I think that, you know, many of the vendors that get involved in the negotiation and payment process have instituted very good precautions as best they can to check and make sure that they're not doing anything illegal and not making a payment to someone on the OFAC list. But I think everybody would agree that that's gotten to be, in some instances, a bit of a gray area, which has created confusion uh, and concern amongst all parties that are involved in the process. And I think, quite frankly, you know, in part adding to that was the the, uh, guidance that came out back in October uh, from the government and I think that has created uh, more concern and at times even more confusion amongst folks that are put in these positions to have to determine whether or not they should be making a payment. Yeah, the, when, when that guidance came out, there was a, there was a lot of a bit misconception, right, at, at first read of that. And it was from the, the U.S. Treasury. If you read it really quick, it, it, you almost could interpret it as any sort of payment in, in a ransomware uh, situation is illegal. And you can be thrown in jail and, and, and uh, see millions of dollars of, of fines and penalties. That's not exactly what it says, right? It gives guidance that prior to any payment is made, there needs to be two essential steps. One is to make sure we're putting law enforcement on notice, FBI, through their IC3 filing. And, and second, as, as Jim mentioned, to run an OFAC check on the Bitcoin wallet, on the threat actor, you know, any IPs or email address. Now, obviously, the Bitcoin wallet, the, the emails, all of that can change even case by case. So, you know, the OFAC check is, is, is only as good as sort of, you know, real time knowledge of, of known terrorist groups. But, you know, we got to make sure that we're doing those two steps. If those clear, then, you know, while we don't want to proceed, you, you may proceed, right? It's, it's not going to rise to, to criminal sanction level. If there is a check back from OFAC and there's a red flag and you proceed and, and not sure any of the vendors, I know for certain any of the vendors we work with would not let us proceed. But if an entity goes and tries to do it on their own, then they do face criminal, you know, individual sanction and exposure as well as individual and, and, 
an entity level uh, financial uh, penalties. So as long as we're doing that, you know, that that transaction, according to the, to the guidance, we're okay from a criminal and, and monetary penalty perspective, as long as they're not, you know, on that list. I, I think in the future, what, you know, what could happen is that more and more of these threat actor groups are placed on the, you know, OFAC list. So rather than, you know, ransomware payments are illegal, I think it's more if we add more groups to that list, right, and we're not able to transact with them, it may have the ultimate outcome of, you know, maybe lowering these demands. The problem is going to be in the short term when an organization has no viable backups, cannot, you know, rebuild their systems. And the only other option is to pay these threat actors. And if they're all being placed on on that, you know, on that list and, and not able to be, you know, pass muster through the OFAC check, they're going to be in a world of hurt, right? Uh, because we're not going to be able to transact that that Bitcoin, you know, that, that ransom demand, and they're not going to have the viable backup. So in the short term, it could be quite painful. Long term, though, it could have the effect of, of reducing some of these demands, at least. Yeah, uh, that's that. That thank you for that. There were there were some really solid deep dives there, and it was uh, as I often do in these conversations where you start thinking about often in the when, when you when you become a victim of an event such as this, it really speaks to why you would have a cyber insurance policy in place. Going out, sourcing first of all, finding guys like you, chat, you know, do this day in and day out, versed in it exactly the way that you've just articulated it. Then comes as part of the product, part of the service that you can get for relatively cheap in relation to if you weren't to have it and they were to conduct business with you directly outside of an insurance policy. Because you're right, to, to, to navigate that on your own would be an absolute minefield. You know, it, 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 and you could, as you say, you could very inadvertently make a bad choice, make the, make the, the situation worse. And that often happens in, our, in the claims that we see that most of it's kind of like rolling out the cavalry to an event that we've seen or our vendors have seen time and time again. So they know we've been here before. We know what to do with it, the checks and balances that have to be put in place, how you get around of it, because there's so much of um, a time element now on how quickly you can recover, how quickly this event can be found. Um, fixed um, um, and life as much as it can be put back to normal and the business um, continue. So that's fascinating. So I guess at that point, so that what you were talking about there, does that, is that the, the, where we talk about kind of federal offense, is that really the same position that as long as they're not on the OFAC check, you've alertified law enforcement of the event, then that's kind of, the position in which they that you should take, or you, you obviously the people that you conduct or, or right. managing this event with you should take. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think pursuant to that guidance, that that's what you you glean from that. But you know, at the end of the day, when we are about to you know, or even through the negotiations, or about to transact uh, uh, you know a payment to a threat actor, we are not blindly doing that, right? We are working with threat actor negotiation teams that have all sorts of you know threat intelligence on this exact threat actor group, right? So we know exactly the, the, you know, the, the ability to negotiate down the re-extortion rates that, you know, the chance of them backing out, you know, exactly who they are, maybe not where they're located, but whereabouts, right? So we bring a lot of threat intelligence to the table. So it's not just sort of randomly paying a random, you know, Bitcoin wallet. So in addition to those sort of 
more formal checks, there's a lot of informal experience and threat intelligence that's, you know, that's completed beforehand. And, you know, we bring that uh, collaboratively to our clients and, and that threat negotiation vendor, you know, that was a vendor that was not around for four years ago, four or five years ago, right? So that, you know, each and every couple of years, we see a new set of, of, of resources that are brought to the table through, you know, through the cyber coverage. And I think as well, what, we, what we've noticed is just the, the complexity of the encryptions and the, the way in which, like any criminal, like, you know, they, they get smarter, they get quicker, um, they're able to do more damage. It's not just about pure disruption, it's about disruption with leverage, extrapolating data, all, all the, the implications that have to be done off the back of that when it comes to the, the notification piece and managing the, the event. It's not just about whether you do or you don't pay the ransom, as you say. It's, it's about how, you know, really, really doing a deep dive with lots of super experienced people in this, this event to kind of negotiate the best way through the event for all involved. Like, like a lot of scams, crime over the, to the beginning of time, they start, they work, they build momentum, they have a level of success, they have a peak, then it starts to die away. When, when cash was, was king, they want, you know, everyone was uh, robbing trains and, and then banks. And, and you, you just don't see that. The risk reward is now far, it's far safer to not go into a bank with a shotgun. It's, it's far safer to sit behind your computer and download and buy criminal related tools. So do you think that, that this type of event is going to insureds or businesses will become so aware of it and aware of how they can better prevent it and stop the effectiveness of it happening, that it will slowly go away? Or do you think it's here to stay? And also, too many questions, I apologize. At which point in the phase do you think it is? Do you think we're at the peak at the moment or do you think it's going to continue to get worse? Yes. Lots, lots to respond to. Um, (laughs) One thing, just a couple of points. You know, first, I think that how this gets slowed down in large part will be dictated by the reaction to the corporate by the corporate community. Our folks at the organization is going to recognize that they need to potentially invest more in security, in backups, in things that would assist them in putting them in the right position to be able to say, hey, we don't need to negotiate because we've got great backups, you know, or we've avoided the event altogether. You know, at what point are are folks going to really start investing in those tools to avoid and or at least to have the backups? Now, that may not eliminate everything because, as you, you mentioned, you know, this has been something that's evolved over time, right? So, as we talked earlier, you know, if you look back when this started, which we tech, you know, nicely refer to as old school ransomware, where company gets hit, company has backups and they're back up and running, or company pays and gets a decryption key and they're back up and running. And forensics comes in and they determine that no data was accessed or exfiltrated. They're in a good spot. They get their business up and running and life goes on. Versus now where, you know, we've seen different iterations, even in the last six months, where folks have come in and said, all right, they hit they come in and take data first, and then they drop the ransomware. So even if there's the backups, it's, well, what about the data that was taken? Now we've got to deal with that and all of the subsequent legal notification obligations and potential liability, regulatory investigations, class action lawsuits. Now this is, you've got a whole nother multiple layers of potential exposure. Or, you know, now the, the latest and greatest is the attackers coming in, 
they're not even dropping the, the, the malware to encrypt. They're just taking the data and holding it hostage and demanding a payment. So we've seen this, this evolution. And, you know, yeah, Dom, I mean, maybe you've got thoughts on where we are in the, the peak. Mm-hmm. Are we ramping? Are we still ramping up? Are we there? Are we slowing down? It's you know, maybe, maybe difficult to tell. Yeah, I mean, some days it, it, it feels like we're, you know, going about a thousand miles per, per, per hour. So we're certainly not at, at the beginning, but, but I don't think we've hit the peak, right? And as Jim mentioned, right, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to just keep evolving. So whether we are going to call it ransomware, right, or, or more of just a, a cyber extortion, uh, because I, I do think, you know, more and more to Jim's last point, it's fascinating. The last several uh, weeks, this is a new development. And it's, you know, we get on a call and an organization says, hey, I, I got an email or we saw a posting on a leaked site of a threat actor group and all of our data's out there, but nothing's happened. We don't nothing's been encrypted. We're business as usual. We haven't seen any kind of ransom note, right? So it's kind of one of these leaked situations. And then the, the, the organization is left with, you know, do I reach out to these, to these guys? I, I don't, you know, if I reach out, do I become a bigger target, right? Do we just let them kind of leak the data? So I think it's, it's going to keep evolving. So it's kind of like a, you know, a, a, a ball that it continues to spin. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't think we're, we're at the peak, certainly, again, not at the infancy of it. Uh, but we're going to continue to see these twists and turns. And, and whether we call it ransomware or extortion or, you know, whatever the, the latest and greatest of these, uh, of these cyber criminals, it's, it's too easy of a buck for them. And until we, you know, have organizations deploying, you know, strong, uh, strong safeguards and multi-factor authentication and turning off RDP and deploying some endpoint monitoring and detection tools, um, they're going to keep, uh, they're going to keep at it. Yeah. No, well said, gentlemen. Well, we're just about coming up to time here. I wanted to say, uh, Jim, Dom, thank you so much for your time. It's been super interesting listening to your uh, your insights and your thoughts. And uh, we look forward to bringing you back on maybe in, in next year and, and we'll know whether we're at the peak or we're just at the bottom of the hill and, and what are the latest changes. But um, yeah, gentlemen, thank you for your time. Thank you for having us, Neil. Thanks so much. You are listening to No Chats where we discuss all things relating to current cybersecurity trends and delve into how technology innovation is reshaping the world we live in.